Welcome to Awaken from your podcast to slumber as I do another number explaining the best sports talk podcast around so it's time for yours truly to get unruly and to get on down and expound and explain what Wendell's World in Sports is all about, a sports talk program that slams out the hits like Mike Trout with the clout to talk about everything and anything from inside an arena stadium to an octagon or boxing ring. When outside social issues intrude to include themselves into the current state of affairs of the game or contest, without just trepidation or hesitation, I attack the subject matter as if it was a quarterback and I was Khalil Mack. So take a step back and rethink your plan to engage in the battle. And my podcast brings joy to every man, woman, girl, and boy from Pakistan to Seattle, washing tons of bums and putting them on the run as those pretenders surrender to the podcasting equivalent of the last style bender. I'll take any sports talking palooka and embarrass him like he was Cameron Johnson of the Phoenix Suns trying to guard Luca. I'm a maverick that's quick to inflict a verbal beatdown that could be fatal. No remorse or second thoughts about it. I'll be more willing and able. So sitting at the table, you won't be the dinner guest, but the appetizer, main course, and dessert. So avert your eyes and gaze on another prize as I reprise and report and complete another remarkable podcasting feat. This Washington commander from the DMV will be demanding your understanding that your podcast compared to mine, your best belief, you're Ryan Leaf while I'm Peyton Manning. Accept the loss from your podcasting boss and toss out any hopes or optimism in wishing you're winning this melee. If you put any money on beating me, you'll be broke by payday. So if you wish to continue to have broadcasting happiness and bliss, don't miss my warning because in the words of Chris Jericho, you know what happens to the podcasters who try to challenge me? You just made the list! So with my podcast, head down the listening road to download, subscribe with pride, a review or rate would be great as I would appreciate the love and support of this podcast named Wendell's World and Sports. Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? What time's coming when we're going to have to handy up? Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom, assalamu alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste, good morning, good abend, que pasa, mi amigos. Me llamo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Thank you for the salutations. Hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make this world, to make your neighborhood, to make your street corner, to make your state, to make your region, to make your community a better place to be. That is through love, peace, unity, understanding, Loyalty, empathy, 
sympathy, regardless of skin tone, regardless of gender, regardless of religion, regardless of who you call God, regardless of what Bible you read, regardless of political affinity, regardless of who you love, regardless of what side of the track that you're on, loving, learning, listening, respecting, being amongst one another in unity, love, peace, understanding, sympathy, empathy. Please, can we do all those things to make this world a better place to be? I would really much appreciate it. I'm trying my best to uh, do exactly that on my everyday journey toward greatness. Also, anywhere where you listen to Wendell's World of Sports, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, do me a favor if you would please download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you could listen to. If you could do that for me, please, if you could do that for me, it would make me the happiest human being ever to walk the face of the earth, past, present, and beyond. <laughs> no worries. No, no worries. No pressure. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. A lot of great things that I'm going to be discussing today. I um, was starting. I was going to record this on a. Uh, I was going to record this yesterday or last night, Tuesday night. I was going to because uh, I wanted to talk about my Georgetown Hoyas. Wanted to talk about my Halle Berry. Wanted to talk about my Layla Roshan. Wanted to talk about my my Selma Hayek. Wanted to talk about my Monica Bellucci. I wanted to talk about my Jada Fire. Wanted to talk about my wifey when it comes to my love of teams talk about my Georgetown Hoyas because I haven't done so in a while and I don't care about your eye rolling I don't care about your heavy breathing no 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 don't hey 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 don't press fast forward this is going to be real quick I just wanted to you know just talk about how the season was going and all that type of stuff and then maybe, maybe get ahead and talk about Adrian Griffin being fired and all those good things well I, I don't think a man losing his job is a good thing but uh, Adrian you know, Griffin still has, you know, hopefully he has millions of dollars in the bank. So, you know, I'm not going to be crying too much for the man. But um, but basically, I wanted to give y'all an update on my wifey in terms of uh, sports teams are concerned. Well, after that game against Butler, in which they were thoroughly outcoached and outplayed and humiliated and punked and beat up and embarrassed in front of the friends and family at the uh, Wizards Arena, um, just wasn't really in a good mood, was in a foul humor, shall we say, to go ahead and speak about my Georgetown Hoyas. So I stewed, I uh, was in a bad mood, watched the uh, two NBA basketball games on TNT and um, put on my MetaQuest and uh, saw some things and uh, tried to uh, get over my anger. After a couple hours, it subsided and now I'm in a good mood today. I'm in a good frame of mind today to uh, go ahead and give y'all the best podcast that I can. I just want to say this before I move on to the NFC Championship game, the AFC Championship game, talking about the uh, Kansas City-Buffalo football game, kind of recount that, where's Kansas City going, where's Buffalo going here in the first segment. Before I get into all that, I, I just want to say this very quickly, because I've got Georgetown on my mind, is this. I have to remind myself, as I'm now sitting in a much better sense of self and place and mood, when it comes to my Georgetown Hoyas, I have to think about this. This is not about wins and losses this year. This is the rebuild of a program. And Ed Cooley turning around the Georgetown basketball team, I trust. 
So, look, it's hard for me in terms of I want to see Georgetown do well. I want to see them do very well. Of course I do. But I also have to be realistic. And I also have to put myself in a frame of mind that Cooley knows what he's doing. And his track record at Providence proves and Fairfield proves that he knows what he's doing. I'm going to have to take the, 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 the micro and the macro in terms of not wins and losses, but how are we improving? And that's how I'm keeping, basically, that's how I'm keeping myself sane and stopping myself from committing violent felonies. It's the fact that, hey, man, you got to be in the mindset that this is a situation where we're not grading wins and losses. We're grading improvement, improvement in Drew Fielder, improvement in Jaden Neps, improvement of Roman Brumball, improvement of the players that are going to be the foundation that's going to be built when Cooley is going to have the Georgetown Hoyas back to where they were, maybe not during the John Thompson Jr. days, not maybe during Big John days, not maybe during the days as a young lad watching Patrick Ewing and David Wingate and Billy Martin and Reggie Williams and Horace Broadnex and Eric Shelton and and, and uh, Eric Sleepy Floyd and, and John Bebe Duran and all those guys. Maybe not, maybe not to that era to where I became not only a sports fan, but for my love of Georgetown basketball with, with, was grown and the John Thompson Jr. era in the early 80s, that type of thing. I'm not, I'm not looking for Ed Cooley to eventually bring the program back to that level. That was a special time. That was a special place. Special time, special place in different eras for you to build basketball dynasties, to build basketball programs, to have the impact socially, societally, that the Georgetown Hoyas did under the greatness of John Thompson. So I'm not expecting Ed Cooley to bring the Georgetown program back to that level. What I want from Cooley within three to four years is to bring the Georgetown basketball program back to where it was during the first five or six seasons of JT3, John Thompson Jr., the third, or John Thompson uh, the third era, where they were consistently ranked in the top 15, consistently ranked in the top 10, where they went to the Final Four in 2007, where they were a team that was um, making the NCAA tournament every single year and were seeded number three, were seeded number two, were seeded number six. That's where I want the Ed Cooley Georgetown basketball program saved by the year 2027. To have that rocking and rolling. Hopefully, Lord willing, I'll be still around to enjoy that program, that success when it happens. Again, I am truly, truly in the belief that Cooley will get it turned around. He showed his prominence. He showed his coaching acumen. If he can win at Providence, if he can win in Providence, Rhode Island, and if he can recruit kids to Providence, Rhode Island, who could have the success for Cooley at Providence, then there's no doubt in my mind for the DMV, the Washington District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia area, the DMV, that he can get players from Sidwell Friends, that he can get players from Paul VI, that he can get uh, players from DeMatha, that he can get players from Baltimore, that he can get players from all over that region that Jay Wright and Villanova used to get when they built their dynasty, the foundation for those dynasties, the foundation for Jay Wright becoming one of the greatest coaches of his generation and having Villanova become one of the top tier programs when they were when they were rolling, started off with Jason Hart, who was from where? Sidwell Friends, Washington, D.C. So once Cooley really starts getting it down and putting down the roots and doing what he needs to do, which he's already done. We have Caleb Williams from Sidwell Friends, a four-star recruit. He's going to be coming in. Drew McKenna is from the area. He's going to be uh, he's a top 75 recruit that's going to be playing next season, a 6'8 uh, perimeter player. So we're going to be all right. We're going to be doing good. 
we're going to be doing fine. We're going to be doing better and more than fine. So yeah, for, for those out there who know me, yeah, tell me, yeah, 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 let me hear your jokes right now. Laugh at me right now when I talk about my Georgetown Hoyas. I roll, eyeball roll me right now when I talk about my uh, Georgetown Hoyas. Yeah, send me your joke text and your laughable text about Georgetown when you hear this right now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Number one, I keep receipts. And number two, I'll be laughing at the finish line. Okay, the, the, the race just started. The race just started. We, didn't even, we ain't even halfway, halfway through yet. Tortoise in the hair, baby. Tortoise in the hair. And the Georgetown Tortoises will be winning the race over the college basketball hairs. Got that right. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let me go ahead and speak about the uh, NFL, speak about the divisional round, speak about the conference championship games this upcoming weekend. They are set. NFC, we have the Detroit Lions, San Francisco 49ers. I thought the Kansas City-Baltimore Ravens game would be the marquee game, would be place closer to prime time, but uh, no. In the NFC, you have Detroit versus San Francisco. That game was going to be at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. And that game is going to be on Fox. And then on the AFC side, Kansas City of Baltimore, that game is going to be at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. That game is going to be on CBS. The AFC Divisional Round, the playoffs from last weekend, the best game of the weekend, of course, for the sixth straight season, Kansas City is in the AFC Championship game. They beat the Buffalo Bills. Where the Buffalo Bills are going after this game, I don't know. 27-24. The seventh meeting between the two teams this decade, the third in the playoffs, and Kansas City has won all three playoff meetings in the uh, in this era, shall we say, the Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen era. First time on the road for Patrick Mahomes, and of course, came through with flying colors. 17-23, 215 yards, two touchdowns. Travis Kelsey on the receiving end of both of his touchdowns. Also caught six, um, five passes for 75 yards. And Mahomes and Kelsey passed Brady and Gronkowski for most postseason TD. 16 by a wide receiver, receiver, well, I'm sorry, a quarterback receiver duo in NFL history. That's great. You know, it, it's always something when you speak about this. Oh, my goodness, here's the first home, uh, first game on the road for Patrick Mahomes, this, that, and the other. And, and then there's a situation now with Mahomes. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, when you speak about Patrick Mahomes for a certain generation, for those of you between the ages of, let's say, uh, let's say 14 or 13, let's just say the ages of 12 and 22 because of the Internet, because of technology uh, today, I think your heroes and I think the folks that uh, gravitate you to wanting to become a football player wanting for you to become a sports fan those roots are now taking a hold of a lot earlier than when I was growing up where you didn't have cable you didn't have the internet you didn't have YouTube you didn't have uh, cable and all this other nonsense so um, I think it's easier at a younger age for those formative years of remembering the greatness of players you can now hold on to them a lot longer. You can now formulate them a little bit earlier because not only can you watch a game whenever you want to, then you can go on YouTube, then you can go to the NFL Network, and then you can go somewhere else and watch those videos over and over and over again. And like someone like myself and my generation who lost this damn mind when Betamax and the VHR 
was uh, first invented. When the VHR first came out, man, I taped almost every single college basketball game, every, almost every single Georgetown game, almost every NBA game, and watched them bad boys over and over and over again. You kids now, because you have computers and everything, you don't need any of that stuff. So it was all on your tablets, it's all on your iPhones and all that kind of nonsense. So yeah, the formation and the building of your heroes can can happen a lot sooner than when we were uh, growing up. So that's the reason why I say the generations now, I think, are a little bit more widened in terms of when you speak about your guy. I mean, my generation, it was Roger Stallback. My generation, it was Terry Bradshaw. My generation, the late 70s, mid-70s, late 70s, early 80s, then it came into uh, Joe Montana. Then it came into uh, th- those type of things. Well, for you guys, it's Patrick Mahomes. So for this generation, Patrick Mahomes is the, is the equivalent to my generation's Magic Johnson, my generation's Joe Montana, my generation's Roger Stallball, my generation's Sugar Ray uh, Leonard, my generation's Mike Tyson, my generation's Magic Johnson, my generation's Larry Bird, my generation's uh, Wayne Gretzky, my generation's John McEnroe, my generation. So that's what Patrick Mahomes is to you guys. So when you reach that level, when you reach to really not just in football, but in sports in general, when we speak, start speaking about the greatness of somebody, the everlasting image, the everlasting legacy that Patrick Mahomes is putting down right now. And we speak about some of the things and some of the obstacles that he's going to have to overcome. There's so much stuff already that the, at the age of, uh, how old is Patrick Mahomes? 27, 28, somewhere around there. there there's so many things that he already has locked in the vault. That he's already cashed in the checks in terms of look, we don't need to kind of we don't we don't need to kind of go back when we speak about my legacy when we speak about my greatness because Patrick Mahomes is quickly moving towards Iconicsville. You know he's very quickly moving to the table of the goat conversation. He's already at the third floor and at the top floor is where the Peyton Mannings and the Johnny Unitas's and the Joe Montanas and the Tom Brady's that, that that's where they all sit. He he's already. He's not at the top floor where those guys are having dinner right now and discussing who's the greatest in the great times. But uh, he's moving up there very quickly. Right now, he's, he's on the third floor. And he's waiting at the elevator to take him up to the second floor where he can sit there with the Dan Marinos and the Warren Moons and, 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 and that group before he goes to the next level where the, the best of the best who's ever played the NFL quarterback position. So right now, he's at the elevator waiting to just to go from the third floor to the second floor, and depending upon how he does against Lamar Jackson, and depending upon how he does in the Super Bowl, if they can get past Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, that's going to determine whether he's going to be getting on that elevator and it's going to be going up or it's going to be remaining at the same floor. But basically what I'm saying all this is because one of the things now that we were going to try to maybe do a little criticism with or say, yeah, but, you know, when we speak about um, the greatness of quarterbacks and doing this and doing the other things. I mean, you know, we can talk about Tom Brady and his Super Bowls. We can talk about Tom Brady and his records. We can talk about the same for Drew Brees. And we can talk about the same for Peyton Manning. And we can talk about when we're splitting hairs um, on whose greatness and legacies and that type of thing. We go to Super Bowl victories. We go to records. We go to stats. We go to all of those things. Well, one of the things that uh, maybe someone could make a, an argument about when we're speaking about Mahomes' greatness compared to the greatest of the greats, is the fact that, yeah, he has the numbers. Yeah, he has the arm talent. Yeah, he has the highlight films. 
Yeah, he even had the Super Bowl left. You're speaking about two so far is still going. But, man, you know, he never won a... He never... His path to the championship was never really that hard because he played all his games on, on, on at home. And a very strong home field advantage when you're speaking about Arrowhead. So Patrick Mahomes never had to do what uh, Joe Montana had to do when he basically ended the Chicago Bears dynasty in 1985, possibly, with that game, or 86, possibly, with that game in the a- NFC Championship game in the bitter cold against Chicago. You know, he never had to really overcome any type of op- obstacles. Yes, everything that he did, the 13-second comeback to put the game into overtime, against the Buffalo Bills a couple of years ago. Yes, playing on a bad wheel to uh, make the play uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals, albeit by a roughing the pass or a late-hit penalty that put Kansas City in the position to kick a game-winning field goal to get them to the championship. So, yes, the, the, the heroic performances that he had in the championship against the Philadelphia Eagles were the plays that he made. But when you keep searching, when you keep diving, when you keep looking, when you keep digging for something to say, but aha, here's something that he didn't do that the great ones did, and that's the reason why this great quarterback is better than Mahomes because he did this while Mahomes didn't do that. Well, you can kind of cross off winning a playoff game in adverse situations on a hostile, um, on, uh, on the road because that's exactly what he did in the game against the uh, Buffalo Bills. Um, I think it was a situation where, look, this, this was a game. And when we move forward and we speak about this upcoming game with the uh, Baltimore Ravens, which I think could put him in even greater uh, position if he can go ahead and beat the best team in football, or at least the best team in the AFC in the Baltimore Ravens with the player who is going to be the MVP in Lamar Jackson. There's so many storylines. There's so many tentacles that are going to be reaching out in terms of the importance of, of that game. But just getting back to the game against the um, against the Buffalo Bills, this is a situation now for, for the first time in Patrick Mahomes' career. Guess what? He doesn't have to win the game all by himself. You know, Terry Bradshaw won four Super Bowls, but he also had the steel curtain. Roger Staubach won two Super Bowls, but he also had the doomsday defense. Bob Greasy won a couple of Super Bowls, but he also had the no-name defense. Troy Aikman won a couple of Super Bowls, but he also had great defenses. So when you speak about these great quarterbacks, when you speak about these winning quarterbacks, Joe Montana, San Francisco, they had a great defense. They didn't have a steel curtain, purple people eaters type of moniker to go up, to go with that. But they had great, great defenses during that time, which allowed those guys to um, perform their greatness and to win Super Bowls. And of course, we know that most of the glory, when you're speaking about wins and losses and legacies and such, they don't go to an offensive tackle. They don't go to a linebacker. They don't go to a safety. They don't go to a, a fullback. It's all placed mostly on a quarterback. So yeah, I just as I just finished talking about Patrick Mahomes winning his first game on the road as a quarterback for the Kansas City football team. We're all also going to have to include the other players on the team which helped him do those type of things. Now, yes, Patrick Mahomes, quarterback, most important player on the field. Yes, this, that, and the other. But you can't tell me that Isaiah Pacheco wasn't a valuable cog in that system on this past Sunday that allowed the Kansas City football team to do what they did on offense. You can sit there and finally someone other than Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice stepping up and making some plays, even though McCole Hardeman's 
ridiculous fumble near the uh, goal line, which gave Buffalo the ball back, could have been back-breaking, bone-breaking, heart-breaking, heart-gut-wrenching. But Kansas City was able to overcome, but the defense played well. And when we're speaking about Mahomes, and we're speaking about his greatness, and we're speaking about his legacy, and we're speaking about his accolades, and we're speaking about how he's going to compare with the great quarterbacks of all time, the great quarterbacks of today, yesterday, and tomorrow, we also have to realize that now Patrick Mahomes has a defense to where he doesn't have to go out and be Superman every single time. And I think that was displayed heavily. And I think that was displayed promptly in the game against the uh, Buffalo Bills. Um, Kansas City finally scoring touchdowns instead of field goals was also a huge deal. When you're speaking about the game against Miami to where they won 26-7. to But I thought uh, it was a situation where they scored. What they, they scored a lot of field goals and not a lot of touchdowns. Their first two scores of the game against Buffalo were field goals. And at that point, they were 13 of, of their last 16 scoring drives were field goals. Only three ended in touchdowns going inside the uh, 20, going inside the red zone. But finally, scoring a touchdown late in the first half and then the other in the second half or yeah, early in the third quarter. And that's when you said, okay, okay, maybe this Kansas City team who we've been lukewarm with when we're speaking about teams that could win the Super Bowl, a lot of people, a lot of pundits out there were, were speaking about, well, this is a uh, this is a rebuilding year for the Kansas City football teams in terms of where they are as a football franchise. Rebuilding is a very, very objective definition when you're speaking about the, the word quote-unquote rebuilding. For Kansas City, rebuilding is different than, say, my Washington Commanders rebuilding. My Washington Commanders rebuilding is starting from the bottom, blowing everything up, and starting with the rubble. Same thing with the New England Patriots. Maybe same thing with the Chicago Bears, depending upon what they're going to be doing with Justin Fields and that number one pick. For a team like the Kansas City football team, the term rebuilding might be, okay, we see some weaknesses which are preventing us from winning Super Bowls, from preventing us from winning conference championships. So we're going to have to rebuild a certain part of the football team, whether it be from the defensive line, offensive line, in Kansas City's case, it was a wide receiver position. But basically, this was supposed to be sort of like a year where the Kansas City football team stepped back. And this was a situation where if you were a fan of the Buffalo Bills coming into this game, you almost got the feeling with Sean McDermott at the head coach, Josh Allen at the quarterback, uh, Stephon Diggs at the number one wide receiver, that this was going to be a situation where it was going to be now or never. And look, Buffalo had its obstacles. Buffalo had its strife. Buffalo had its its, um, difficulties to overcome when you're speaking about the, the, the injuries that depleted the defense. So, so Buffalo wasn't coming in close to being 100% either. But this was a situation, look, you got Kansas City at home. This is a situation where you've won, what, five or six games in a row. You got to get it done. You got to get it done. As Lou, as Lou Saban once said, the old, Baltimore, the old uh, Buffalo Bills coach, you can get it done. You can get it done. But better yet, you got to get it done. And it felt for Sean McDermott and this era of Buffalo Bills that they had to get it done, and they didn't get it done. So for Mahomes, the current franchise leader, MVP of his football-playing generation, he's becoming the generations that I mentioned before. Put him up there, man. 
Put him up there with MJ <gasps> in terms of the importance that he has of this generation. Man, folks under the age of uh, 42, they don't know about Michael Jordan. They know about his sneakers. They know about his, they know about his clothing line. They know about that. They don't know anything about Michael Jordan. They didn't have the pleasure. They didn't have the joy. They didn't have the privilege to watch Jordan when he was doing the thing back in the age when we were susceptible to becoming football fans or baseball fans or basketball fans, sports fans in general. This generation or the, the, the folks under the age of 40, they don't know anything about MJ. But Patrick Mahomes is becoming this generation's MJ. This generation's LeBron and Tom Brady and Roger Federer and Peyton Manning and Michael Phelps and... And um, Usain Bolt and, oh, oh, and Serena Williams and Joe Montana and Wayne Gretzky and Barry Bonds. That damn right, Barry Bonds. That's what Patrick Mahomes is becoming right now. For those who are the age of 15, those who are the age of 18, those who are the age of 22, those who are the age of 25, 26. Man, let me tell y'all something. If y'all are lucky enough, Lord willing, Allah willing, if y'all are lucky enough to still be alive in the year 2050, and you're going to be married, y'all going to have a couple of kids, y'all going to have a wife, y'all going to have that 9 to 5, y'all going to be living like the 85, 8 to 5 clock punching humanoids that you are, and y'all are going to be having your kids, and your kids are going to have their favorite football player, and they're going to be like, yeah, this guy's the greatest, this guy, this, that, and the other. You're going to be able to take your son and say, son, daughter, let me tell you something. You never saw Patrick Mahomes play. Oh, yeah, I've seen highlights of him, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. You never saw Patrick Mahomes play. <laughs> so, so so sit on down, sit your ass on down there, and let me tell you about the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. For the generation right now, between the age group that I just mentioned, that's what Patrick Mahomes is going to mean to you. Just like we have to uh, educate. Just like I have to educate. I have to educate the younger folks about how great Magic Johnson was. I have to educate that, yeah, LeBron is awesome. LeBron is great. LeBron is all-time great. But y'all never saw Magic Johnson. If it wasn't for Magic Johnson, there would be no LeBron James. Forget about if there was no Michael Jordan, there wouldn't be no LeBron James. No, 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 no. Let's take it back even further. Let's take it back to my generation. Let's take it back to my formative years of becoming a sports fan, a basketball fan, a Los Angeles Laker fan, a where you are when this happened fan. Something that not only built me and molded me as a fan of sports but also as a human being let me go back to 1984 let me go back to 1987 let me go back to 1986 let me go back and let me speak about the greatness of a magic johnson let me speak about the greatness of watching sugar ray leonard when he won his first um when he won his first uh boxing title let me go ahead and speak to you about what was going on and what was it all about when he fought marvin Hagler in the las vegas uh, judges robbed Hagler and gave Leonard that decision after he came back from retirement. Let me talk to y'all about the Cincinnati Hawk, Aaron Pryor. Let me speak to y'all about that fight between him and Alexis Arguello. Let me speak to y'all about the destruction of Mike Tyson. And let me speak to y'all about what I was doing when he first is, when he faced his first test against Michael Spinks. And Michael Spinks came walking into that ring scared as shit. And got his ass knocked out in 91 seconds. Got knocked down and said, no, nah, I'm not getting up anymore. How much am I making for this? Yeah, I'm good. Let me speak to y'all about the, macro, the, 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 the the championship that I saw in the French Open between Yvonne Lendl and John McEnroe. Where McEnroe was up two sets and then faded. And then was fatigued because he didn't give a damn about training. And Yvonne Lendl, the machine, came back and won in five sets. I'm going on a tangent now because I'm telling y'all right now. Who are of the age of where your sports love 
and fandom are being built, are being grounded, are being rooted, are being cemented. I'm telling you, those th- th- this game that you watched this past Sunday with Patrick Mahomes versus versus Josh Allen. If you're if you're 17 years old now, you're going to be remembering these things when you're 37, when you're 46, when you're when you're 52, when you're 61. You are, you are, and hopefully. Next weekend's game between the uh, Ravens and the Kansas City football teams, hopefully, beggingly, maybe they can also provide you with even more memories that will even strengthen more of your love and passion and devotion for the uh, for, for sports. For me, for my generation, we old men, we old women, we're, we're, we're done with that stuff now. We have our memories. We have our fond memories. We, we have those locked and tight. And we have them from 1982. We have them from 1989. We have them from 1993. We have them from 1978. We have them right there. And those special moments that we shared when we became sports fan, watching the game with our dad, always remembering the first game that we went to, always remembering that experience as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult. And then you being able to build those memories with your children through Patrick Mahomes and watching this game with your kid, watching this game with your daughter, watching this game with your son. So when they're my age, they can sit back and tell their kids, yeah, I remember watching it with your grandpa. Woo, Patrick Mahomes was something that day. Travis Kelsey, when he was dating some chick named named Taylor Swift, throwing a ball and catching the touchdown and then making the heart sign after he he, uh, scored the touchdown. And they're going to say, Mom, exactly who is Taylor Swift? I've never heard of this bitch. But exactly. But, but what I'm saying is the memories right now is what Patrick Mahomes is uh, making. And that game against the uh, Buffalo Bills just continued. I don't, I don't know how much, substa- how much left they, they can give us when you're speaking about the Buffalo Bills versus the Kansas City football team, especially when you're speaking about the playoffs. I mean, after this game, the meaning, the impact that's going to be for both teams to be determined. But I think I think it's something that's going to uh, play a huge role down the road, especially if you're speaking about the Buffalo Bills or if you're speaking about that epic performance and the uh, at the uh, near the end of the game, the last time that they met in the um, in in the playoffs. I don't know if this I don't I don't know if this kind of ends the rivalry. I don't know if this ends the trilogy or I don't know if this ends the legacy and I don't know maybe the Baltimore Ravens are going to be replacing Buffalo as the new person or the new team that's going to step up and try to conquer the Kansas City football team the the Kansas City Patrick Mahomes maybe they do it this week Lord knows that they're favored to do so it'll be more of a oh my goodness gracious if the Kansas City football team goes on the road again to beat the favored Baltimore Ravens. Then it would be for Baltimore to take care of business and to um, win this football game. For for the legacy of Lamar Jackson, which kind of cleared a hurdle when you're speaking about that game against the Houston Texans because coming into that game, he was 1-3. I'll get to that a little bit later. But man, that hurdle, I, I, I think in terms of the, 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 the imprint or the meaning of this game, who wins this game on Sunday between Baltimore and Kansas City, I think for each legacy, if we're speaking about two great 
Hall of Fame quarterbacks because I think that uh, if the season ended or if his career ended this season, I think that um, Lamar Jackson has enough to get into the Hall of Fame. Maybe not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but at the age of 27, two MVPs already and everything that he's done to revolutionize the game, this this generation's Randall Cunningham times five or six, this generation's Michael Vicks times five or six in terms of everything that he can do, not just a runner, but now a, a potent passer from the pocket. It's a situation where I think Patrick Mahomes beating the Baltimore Ravens going to the Super Bowl because of the season that the Kansas City football team had, the the, the the trials and tribulations that the Kansas City football team, the quarterback position, the wide receiver position had to overcome. The fact that we saw Patrick Mahomes be a little bit un-Patrick Mahomes with some of his antics in terms of his uh, emotions being shown after losses against Buffalo and, and, and criticizing the ref and such. This wasn't a situation where everything was hunky-dory. It wasn't a situation where it was kind of like, hey, everything worked. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow, 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 follow the yellow brick road to success in the Super Bowl. It wasn't a season like that for all, at all, for Patrick Mahomes. So all of this stuff is adding on to the legacy of if he can beat the uh, Baltimore Ravens and make it to the Super Bowl, I think for the legacy of Patrick Mahomes, it'll be greater than if Lamar Jackson having a great game, beating Kansas City, moving on to the Super Bowl. Yes, it'll elevate Lamar to a higher standard. Yes, it'll elevate Lamar now to where I think, and I've mentioned this before on my other podcast, I think it's a situation where if Lamar Jackson pulls this off and wins the Super Bowl, I think that it's a situation where when we speak about who's the face of the uh, NFL to bring to the public, to bring to the Marie Wallaces of the world who don't give a damn about football, who doesn't know anything about sports in general. Oh, yeah, she might know LeBron James because he's a public figure. But my mom doesn't know anything about Kevin Durant. My mom doesn't know anything about Steph Curry. My mom doesn't know anything about Patrick Mahomes. My mom doesn't know anything about Shohei Otani. My mom doesn't know anything about any of those guys because my mom doesn't care about sports. She doesn't like sports. She doesn't watch sports. If sports were to leave this universe, my mom wouldn't even recognize it because my mom does not follow sports. My mom does not care about sports, but she knows who LeBron James is. She knew who... Charles Barkley and Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan were. I think in a situation where the NFL who's trying to convert those Marie Wallaces into being just casual NFL fans. I think not only after this, if, if Lamar Jackson can win this Super Bowl, not only do you present Patrick Mahomes to say, this is the reason why you need to watch the NFL. You also include Lamar Jackson. And that's the stature I think that Lamar Jackson is, is is facing or could be presented with if he can beat Patrick Mahomes this upcoming weekend in the AFC Championship game and then move on to win a Super Bowl against either the San Francisco 49ers or the Detroit Lions. I think that is the platform, that is the plane that Lamar Jackson can get to. But still... It won't reach the legacy-defining building moment if Patrick Mahomes can pull this off. So that's really what I'm looking for. That's what I'm really going to ingest and digest and take into account and really look at in terms of uh, what's going to be happening. Because like I said, man, this kind of reminds me, and when you're speaking about 
if you don't get them now, I don't know when you're ever going to get them. This, this is almost like with the Boston Celtics, the Bill Russell championships, right? Red right back was like, hey, look, the Boston Celtics, Russell's last year, they were, what, 48 and 35, finishing in fourth place. So if you can't beat Bill Russell now, you ain't ever going to beat him ever again, which is true because he retired at the end of the season. But, but my point is that this is probably, possibly, in the NFL, you never know. NFL, you never know, with injuries, free agency, all this stuff. Um, this could be, for the next three or four years, the worst that we can see of the Kansas City football team. So if you can't beat them now, and this is their, and this is going to be their low point for the next three to four years, when are you going to beat them? Anything can happen on any, any given Sunday. I get that. I understand that. But, man. If you can't beat Kansas City now, when they're on the road, when they're still a little banged up, when there's still question marks about their skill position players, when? When is going to be the time? When Mahomes is, what, 34, 35 years old? When Kansas City finally goes into maybe a little bit of a rut? Let's just let's just kind of project Patrick Mahomes' career. He's 28 right now. Let's say if he plays till he's 38. This is going to be a three to four to five year stretch where Mahomes is not going to be winning Super Bowls. It happens to all the great players. For, for Tom Brady won, what, seven? Seven championships? Well, there was a lull in New England of about, I don't know, maybe six or seven years where, where Tom Brady wasn't winning a whole lot of championships, where he wasn't winning championships at all. There was, there was a gap there. This wasn't a situation where Tom Brady was winning championships every two, two to three years. No, in between, I believe, championship, Super Bowl win between number five and number six, there was a gap. There was a, there was a gap in there. So as great as Tom Brady was, no, this wasn't a consistent deal. For all the greatness of Peyton Manning, he won too. He had to wait till the last year of his career to win the second one. Had to wait till what he was, what, year seven, eight, nine for him to win this first one. I mean, we're speaking about even outside again, outside of the greatness of Bill Russell and and Michael Jordan, who took two years off in, in between winning three championships in a row. There ain't too many out there that where you can consistently look at who've won four or five or six championships and say that they've won them every single year or every other year. Championship win number five or championship ring number five for Tim Duncan. It took a while. I mean, he won three within the span of four or five years or something like that. Then he won one more. How many, how many championship rings did Tim Duncan have? Four, five, something like that? Well, I know there was a gap in between because you had the Lakers doing their thing. You had the Miami Heat doing their thing. You had some other teams doing their thing, winning championships. So, yeah, there was a transition period with San Antonio where Tim Duncan, first David Robinson left, and then it was Tim Duncan being the man in the middle and being the focal point of everything. And then when that fizzled out with them losing, being swept by the uh, Phoenix Suns, Greg Popovich made the astute and correct decision to put the ball in the hands of Tony Parker. Magic Johnson, between championships, it took him a little bit of, a, of, of time back in, uh, back in the day. So, yeah, for Patrick Mahomes, there's going to be a gap where he won't be winning championships every single season or competing for Super Bowl championships every single season. But I don't see it in the upcoming two to three years. So again, if you can't beat him now, if you can't knock him off now, if you can't slay that dragon now, not just Patrick Mahomes, but the whole doggone team. You know, speaking about Andy Reid at the coach and Chris Jones at their best defensive player and, and, and Travis Kelsey in the remaining years of his somewhat prime as a tight end 
If you can't beat them now, if you can't beat them this year, when? When? You might have to wait two or three years for them to kind of reload, rebuild, retool, and get back to give Patrick Mahomes one more window of opportunity to win Super Bowls number four, five, or six if they go ahead and win a Super Bowl this year. So that's really what is at stake on Sunday, which I'm going to be looking at. And again, if they beat the... um, if they beat the Baltimore Ravens, again, it doesn't automatically win that they're going to automatically mean that they're going to win the Super Bowl. But, uh, yeah, it's going to put them in a great position, of course, to do so because they'll be one of two teams with that opportunity. Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let's speak about uh, the Buffalo Bills, huh? Is this the end of the era? I don't know where you go, man. I mean, this is a situation where someone brought this up on the NFL Network that made a lot of sense. Um, You know, when you have a dynasty, when you have a great team, when you have a a team as dominant as the Kansas City football team, someone made the great point. Look, this, this this might be similar to what the Indianapolis Colts and Tom Brady, excuse me, and Peyton Manning had to go through in terms of how many times did they have to lose? to New England before they finally broke through and won themselves a championship? If you're Buffalo, what moves do you make? In the NFL, because of salary cap and other implications, you're going to have to make some moves. But in terms of of, of major moves, Ken Dorsey was fired midway through the season at the offensive coordinator. Joe Brady came in, uh, took his magic, which he was successful with, with Joe Burrow as a coordinator at LSU and then went to the pros with um, Carolina and, and was the um, offensive coordinator midway through, was promoted to the offensive coordinator position midway through this season in Buffalo. What type of chemistry, what type of relationship, what type of bond, if you keep him around, that you can build with not just Josh Allen, but also this offense to uh, push them over the edge, if you, or push them over the, the, the hill, which is, or reach the top of the hill which is the Kansas City football team which players do you draft what do you do about the defense what do you do about the head coach you have Josh Allen who ain't going anywhere how do we build around Josh Allen do we pick up I mean can we if we can we can we select that running back in the fourth or fifth round of this upcoming NFL draft that's going to prove to be the difference to give Josh Allen a little bit of a break in terms of the responsibility that he has to that he has to do on um, offense in terms of not only being the playmaker from the passing standpoint, but also from a rushing standpoint. Where can Buffalo go and find that running back? Where can Buffalo go and find a situation where, look, Gabe Davis, as the number two receiver, didn't ball out the season, up to the expectations of what the uh, fandom and the, uh, the the fans, the Buffalo Bills fans, Bills Mafia and others, Gabe Davis didn't perform the way he should. What are we going to do about that situation? What are we going to be doing about Stephon Diggs? Is he truly the number one wide receiver? Is he truly a number one wide receiver that can win you a Super Bowl? What's his relationship in terms of with uh, Josh Allen moving forward? Now, I'm not just talking about from personal standpoint, but just moving forward in terms of football playing relationship and chemistry. Is that going to be strong enough to maybe overcome some of the weaknesses? And of course, look, Luck be a lady tonight, but luck its also going to play a role in terms of what's going to be happening with Buffalo. I mean, when you talk about the game being decided a lot on a missed field goal, 
when a game is going to be decided on the you know on a, on a play or two, I mean Buffalo is not that far away from them being in the conference championship. Buffalo has not been that far away, but is it a situation where the little things that need to be that that need to be dealt with are they little things moving forward? Or are they big things replacing the coach moving forward? Is this something where drafting a wide receiver or you know, having a strong draft is going to be the catalyst for Buffalo to move forward and win a championship? Let's just let, let, forget about Super Bowl. Let's, let's, before we start sprinting, we've already been walking. We've already been jogging. Now let's start running. And running would be getting to the AFC Championship game and winning it. Because right now the Bills are jogging. They ain't running. Hell, they, and, and, and don't even think about them sprinting. Sprinting would be sprinting across that finish line to pick up that uh, Vince Lombardi. That ain't happening yet with the um, Buffalo Bills. What do they need to go from first jogging to running to sprinting? Change of coach? Luck? Health? Strong draft? free agency what's it going to be because right now they're starting to become this generation's Wilt Chamberlain of the Philadelphia Warriors 76ers going up against the Bill Russell's Boston Celtics the um the, the Buffalo Bills are starting to become the love your blue Houston Oilers of Earl Campbell and Dan Pastorini who couldn't get past the Pittsburgh Steelers they're starting to become the Pat Hayden and the James Ram the James Harris Rams Los Angeles Rams in the 1970s who couldn't get past the purple people leaders of the Minnesota Vikings losing uh, to them being the bugaboo of the reason why Houston never won a, a Super Bowl the reason why the Los Angeles Rams of that era never won a Super Bowl and only got to the Super Bowl in 1979 with Vince Ferragamo <laughs> so so all of those things uh, come into play. So, you know, um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm going to take a boogie break. We'll go ahead and talk about the rest of the uh, NFL playoff games, the conference championships, speak about those type of things. We'll do all that here on Wendell's World in Sports. Let's go! Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Man, that's some good music. You know, one of the things I miss about uh, not working for the uh, school district, and probably the only thing that I miss about working not working for the uh, Clark County School District, is the fact of um, the, the, some of the things I would try to teach. Or some of the try to some of the things that I would try to introduce introduce to some of the students, some of the music, some of the culture, you know, and in a situation where it was kind of like, look, man, I'm giving y'all jewels, 
I'm giving y'all gems. When I would go into a classroom and I would play Otis Redding and I would play the Four Tops, my man Levi Stubbs. When I would play these favorite things by John Coltrane, when I would play Donny Hathaway, The Ghetto, when I would play these things and these fucking clowns would look at their phones and not pay any attention and this, that, and the other, especially with the, with the black kids. I'd be just sitting up there talking too much. I'd just be sitting up there talking about, you know, number one, don't worry, I blame your parents, not you, on how you were not introduced to any of this music. When I would talk about the passing of the, of the great Sidney Poitier when he died, and I would talk about the movies that he made and the impact that he made on society, and these kids would look at me like, huh? I'd be, I would be like, Lord have mercy. You never saw The Defiant Ones. You never saw Guess Who Coming to Dinner. You never saw uh, In the Heat of the Night. You never saw To Serve With Love. You, were like, you didn't know anything about Sidney Poitier. And these black kids would look at me like I was like like I was some type of alien. Can can, can we do something for our, our community, please? Can can we just do a little bit, parents? Can you do something? Could you like get an education and learn so you can kind of teach our kids and teach our folk, folks who are going to be in our community? Can can you give them a little bit of knowledge? Can you give them a little bit of wisdom and in the and in turn doing so, kind of educate yourselves? Because for me, there's no excuse. For someone my age not to know who Otis Redding is. For me, there's no excuse not to know how impactful Stack Studios and Motown and, 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 and those stories were. For me, it's no excuse for my generation not to be able to teach the younger generation, regardless of color and any of that. It, 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 but it's, it's most egregious and most atrocious that we have in our community kids, teenagers, young adults who have no idea the impactful the impactfulness that Otis Redding had or that Thurgood Marshall had or that Sidney Poitier had or that Sam Cooke had. So again, I don't blame the kids as much as I blame the parents. And when I hear some of these folks my age laugh at me and scoff at me about, well, who's gonna, who's, what, what kid is going to know about Otis Redding? What kid is going to know about Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops? They don't know anything about Motown. Exactly, that's my point. Maybe you should wake the fuck up and learn and, and teach these kids something. Huh? Huh? Wow. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. I was just thinking about that the other day as I was playing a tune by Peebo Bryson. I was like, oh, this would be something that I would want to, um, or uh, what was I listening to? Uh, no, I was listening to, um, I was listening to um, uh, Baby, I Need Your Lover with the Four Tops. And I was like, oh, Ah, uh, this is something where I, I I wanted to. I should have played this for Jenna. I should have played this for Story. I should have played this for Kylie. I should have played this for Anthony. I should have played this for Rafa, and teach them the importance. But no, someone took that away from me. So you know, shame on them. Poor the others. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, sorry, sorry, I had to get on my soapbox on that one. Let's talk about the um, NFL playoff games, the conference championships, the conference number one seeds, basically doing what they needed to do. The number one seed in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens, beating the Houston Texans 34 to 10. The journey of the evolution of Lamar Jackson become a generational great quarterback continues. Just like we spoke about Patrick Mahomes in terms of what can we say? What roadblocks can we put in front of him on the journey towards Iconicsville 
for us to say, well, yeah, I still think Montana is better. Well, yeah, I think that uh, Patrick Mahomes can't match with Joe Montana or Tom Brady because of this in terms of winning a road playoff game. He got that done, Patrick Mahomes, and was fantastic in doing so. So coming into the game against Houston, now putting it back with Lamar Jackson, what was the deal concerning Lamar Jackson? Well, okay, two-time MVP, great quarterback, athletic quarterback. He's doing all these things. He's putting up these type of numbers, especially when he won the MVP. Um, his winning percentage in the regular season, fantastic, wonderful. But coming into the Houston game, he had a career playoff record of 1-3 and three and never advancing beyond the divisional round. The Chargers deployed seven defensive backs in Jackson's first playoff game as a rookie five years ago. You can kind of excuse that. Jackson was a rookie just getting started. Jackson's 2019 MVP season ended with then 14-2 Baltimore going one and done, losing 28-12 at home to the Tennessee Titans in the game in which Jackson committed three turnovers and really wasn't himself. Then in his last postseason appearance three years ago in Buffalo, he threw a back-breaking pick six before leaving the game in the second half of a 17-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills. And the last time that the um, Baltimore Ravens were in the playoffs, which was last season, Lamar Jackson wasn't in the lineup. It was Todd Hundley who was in the lineup because Jackson weeks and weeks ago had suffered a quote-unquote injury that quote-unquote was too uh, serious for him to play. And I remember, the, I remember the scuttlebutt and I remember the conversation that folks were having in terms of because of his contract situation or he wasn't being paid enough or he was angry at the team or whatever the reason was, Lamar Jackson was putting himself before the team in terms of, yeah, I'm, I'm not 100%. Um, but since I'm not 100%, I'm not going to play. Or, yeah, I could tough it out. And then they start talking about, well, you know, in the Super Bowl, Jack Youngblood, back in 1979, played the game with a broken leg. I remember the AFC Championship game between San Diego, then the San Diego Chargers, and the um, New England Patriots that uh, Phillip Rivers played with a torn ACL or some major injury or some nonsense like that. So there have been um, instances, there have been examples of quarterbacks and football players playing with serious injuries, putting the team, their brothers, before themselves. And here's Lamar Jackson, supposedly the leader of the team, and he's sitting over there talking about, yeah, I can't play. No, I don't feel right. No, I don't feel good. No, I'm not going to play. Todd, good luck to you. So there was, you know, consternation, and there was focus on that. You know, what type of a teammate, what type of a leader, what type of a quote-unquote elite quarterback, franchise quarterback, leader of your franchise, face of your franchise is Lamar Jackson. Then the, he asked for a boatload of money guaranteed. They laughed at him. They said, and he said he wanted to be traded. They stopped laughing and said, they, let's go to the table. And uh, the two sides convened and came with an amicable um, solution to the problem. But basically, going into the game against Houston, that cloud was hanging over him in terms of moving forward to real superstardom or the next level of superstardom in terms of some of these um, playoff appearances and some of these situations surrounding uh, his playoff playing career. Well, against Houston, he said, screw that, man. Had a great game. Went 16-22, 252 yards with three touchdowns. No interceptions. Also rushed for 100 yards on 11 attempts. Had two rushing touchdowns. Became the first player in NFL history. 
They have 100 yards plus passing, have 100 yards plus rushing, plus rushing, and two touchdowns passing and two touchdown rushing in the same game. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, biatch. Jackson led three consecutive scoring drives in the second half after the game was tied at halftime. And, uh, yeah, now he faces the uh, greatest challenge of his career so far this weekend, playing against Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. Right now, Kansas City is 3-2 and two in AFC Championship games with Mahomes as the starting quarterback. It'll be the first time in the Mahomes era. He will not have to be the only and main reason why the Kansas City football team can win. Because, again, the defense has been fantastic. So, for... And I think because of the offense, some of the impediments that have been placed on the Kansas City offense this season, um, and while they've looked good, while they've looked coherent in games against Miami and Buffalo in inclement weather, and the same is going to be said on Sunday when they play in Baltimore. I mean, this this isn't going to be a day at South Beach in terms of weather is concerned. So I think a score of, you know, 56 to 53 is going to be out of the question. And I think defense and I think the running game and I think ball control is going to be able to rule the day. I think this is going to be a situation where the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson should be favorites to win this football game in advance to the um, in advance to the Super Bowl. But man, this is going to be important for Lamar Jackson. It's going to be super important for Lamar Jackson to uh, get it done. What it means in his overall legacy. And, and you're speaking about a game where, look, Baltimore has shown that um, you can't run against them. Against the run, they have been dominant. So for Kansas City, they're going to have to pass the football. Now you say, well, okay, that's pretty much should be every single game plan for for uh, Kansas City to uh, run the, to uh, pass the football. What's up with that? Yeah, but again, man, when you're speaking about the receivers still, still, can you trust the Kansas City wide receivers to get it done, especially, again, going up against an elite defense like the Baltimore Ravens? And for the Ravens on offense, again, what are they going to be doing against this new and improved and now elite for this season Kansas City defense? It's going to be a very interesting game moving forward in that regard. But um, they did what they needed to do against the uh, Houston Texans. Um, it wasn't pretty for the entire 60 minutes. Uh, Lamar had to uh, get on their asses when they got to uh, halftime because the game was tied. But uh, Baltimore finally got it moving and grooving and showed that, again, in the AFC, they are the uh, best team as of right now. We'll see you on Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, if that uh, that moniker can hold true. And the uh, NFC, my goodness gracious, man, how about them? How about the San Francisco 49ers, huh? And the Green Bay Packers snatching victory from the jaws or snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, shall shall you say? Do you have any concern? Debo Samuel, I don't know about his injury situation, but if you're a San Francisco 49ers fan going up against the Detroit Lions, the Detroit Lions making its first NFC championship game since 1957? And the hard-charging, party-drinking Bobby Lane squad. Um, you know, I think the Detroit really had moved past, past that. Yeah, we can talk about their history. We can talk about their history of ineptitude and all that type of thing. But let, let's start living in the present, please. This Detroit football team is a damn good football team. And this Detroit Lions football team is going to be a doggone good football team for years to come. Jared Goff has been playing his ass off and playing out of his mind. He's been doing so, though, at home. How's he going to go 
on the road in terms of him being the quarterback if he can put up the same amount of numbers. Because um, Detroit, while winning football games, and I think we get caught up in the minutia in the minutia of, oh my goodness, they're winning football games. And because of what happened in the past, that, oh my goodness, just winning the football game is good enough to have us, you know, to, to play cool the gang and start singing the song Celebration and start dancing in the street like Martha and Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie. But let's kind of speak about the Detroit Lions going into this game against the San Francisco 49ers. Our defense, each time against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Los Angeles Rams, that Detroit defense has given up 400 yards, over 400 yards in each of, the, in each of those games. And each of those games against the Rams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it came, came down to a one-possession game. And a game against the... Los Angeles Rams, yeah, give Detroit some credit that their defense bent but didn't break against the Rams team in the second half who seemed to be picking up their bojo after falling down 21-3 or 21-10 to uh, make it a game. I think that halftime it was 21-17. Well, at one point, what I'm trying to say is that the Rams were down 21-10 and you could make the argument that a couple of plays here and there, they could have been the ones moving on against Detroit. When you speak about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback and you speak about that offense, yeah, they're not going to be facing that same type of quarterback or that same type of offense when they go out to the Bay where they won't be sitting on the dock of the Bay watching the ties just roll away. They'll be playing the San Francisco 49ers against a San Francisco 49ers team that is very potent, very powerful, when you speak about the offensive weapons, how much should we? How how much do we need to kind of pull back just a little bit and stop with the "Hey, Detroit, they're here in this wonderful, the great story." I, I'm not look, 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 stop the bullshit. I don't give a fuck about the story. I don't care what happened in the past. I don't care about any of that stuff. Let's talk about what's happening right now. Because what's going to be happening in 1991? What's going to be happening 32 years ago? What's going to be happening 60, 70, 80 years ago? What happens leading up to this point on Sunday at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time has nothing to do with the past. Nothing. Jared Goff and Dan Campbell and, and, and Jameer Gibbs and Panay Suel has nothing to do. They have has nothing to do with what happened to the past. So let's forget about the past focused on the now what's going to be happening in the game against the San Francisco 49ers and with the 49ers was that more of just a wake-up call like you know we had had to get rid of some of the rust off we were going in inclement weather but guess what great teams get the job done and how many times have we spoke about before where the number one seed whether it be in the AFC or the NFC has lost in the first round of the playoffs it's happened before it's not an anomaly that uh, the San Francisco 49ers were in a tough game against the uh, Green Bay Packers who had that momentum, who had that confidence coming off that dominant victory over the Dallas Cowboys. But unlike the Baltimore Ravens of Lamar Jackson's MVP season five years ago where the San Francisco 49ers didn't play up to their capabilities, just like back in the day when the Baltimore Ravens didn't, guess what? The Ravens lost to the Tennessee Titans 28-12, end of story. The San Francisco 49ers beat the Green Bay Packers 24-21. We keep them moving. Well, they were a missed field goal away. Hey, you know what? You are what you are. A win's a win. There's no asterisk by it. 
So we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward in this game. Brock Purdy, again, I think you need to make Brock Purdy the focal point of that offense. Now, Green Bay did a great job getting ahead of San Francisco in that first quarter in that defense playing well enough, even though the uh, <laughs> even though the Packers just fired the defensive coordinator. But um, the, the, the Packers got in front, kind of established that ball control, put it in the hands of Purdy, and there were numerous opportunities, numerous meaning at least two or three, for, to, for the Packers to really turn that ball game around when Purdy threw a couple of bad uh, passes that should have been picked off by uh, Green Bay. Now, you can blame the wet balls, you can blame anything else, but it just didn't happen, giving Purdy the opportunity to to finalize the drive that led them to uh, the uh, to the uh, winning score. So, we'll see. Six for seven, 47 yards, carried twice for 11 yards in the game-winning drive. But, you know, Purdy was 23 of 39 for 252 with a touchdown, with with a touchdown to George Kittle and, a, and no interceptions, even though... Really, he should have had at least two or three. And, and can we can, can we stop before we move on? Before I move on and, and, and go to break, can, can we stop just for a second, please, for one thing? Can we kind of like stop with the, is Brock, is Brock Purdy a bum? Or is Brock Purdy the MVP of the league? Is, is Brock Purdy underrated or overrated? Overrated meaning that we're going to put him in the category of Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, or he's or he's, he's or or he's somewhere near the bottom, somewhere like near um, um, you know I don't know the modern day Neil O'Donnell or something like that, you know like you know can we stop with that with um, Brock Purdy? Brock Purdy is a is a decent quarterback. That's what he is. That's what he is. He's a decent quarterback. No one is foolish enough to think that he's going to be on the same level of Lamar and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. That doesn't mean that he had one of the better seasons in the league this year. That doesn't mean that he shouldn't have been considered uh, for MVP status. But but heaven's sakes alive, man. I mean, it's, it's the situation where we, from one extreme to, other, to another, let's just put Brock Purdy where he is. He's a decent quarterback. He's a above average to good quarterback. And I don't see him getting any better than that. He's never going to be in that upper echelon. He's never going to be, you know, in a situation with the elite quarterbacks. But damn, he's far better than just being a backup. So I just, the whole thing about Brock Purdy in terms of, well, you know, Brock Purdy had a bad game against uh, the Green Bay Packers. He's a bum. Like, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Just like Brock Purdy led the team to a game-winning touchdown. I'm all done criticizing Brock Purdy. He's great. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going from one extreme to another, man. Let's kind of calm down with that. So, again, Brock Purdy will have his chance to uh, to uh, write his own positives and negatives and what he is as a quarterback on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. Hey, you know what? I, I want to talk about some uh, coaches being hired. I want to talk about Gerard Mayo being hired and why Gerard Mayo being hired by the New England Patriots uh, is not only an impactful hire for the league, but also for a community and for a region of our, of our, of our uh, country socially. I'll talk about that next, y'all. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. As I was mentioning before, the NFL coaching carousel continues to ride and ride and ride and go around and round and round. I guess Jim Harbaugh is in the final stages of him becoming the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, I know that uh, he was supposed to have a second interview with Arthur Blank and the Atlanta Falcons, but I believe that was canceled. I know that he interviewed one time. I know Bill Belichick has also interviewed with the um, Atlanta Falcons. I know that uh, Tennessee hired, what was it, Brian Brian Callahan, I believe that was their head coach or their new head coach. I know Mike Rabel is still out there. I know that Harbaugh has a um, offer from Michigan to return to become the head coach, which would make him the highest paid coach in college football. I don't, I don't know if this was more of just something to appease the Michigan folks to say, hey, we tried, but Jim Harbaugh is gone. Jim Harbaugh does not want to go back to coach Michigan. So, you know, this is a situation where Jim Harbaugh is a NFL head coach. He's going to be taking a head coaching position. The NFL coaches or anybody who wants Jim Harbaugh can easily um, match or supersede or get close to the offer that was going to be made by Michigan. And what really that situation in terms of Michigan offering Jim Harbaugh a a contract, I think really means the fact that Jim Harbaugh has no intentions whatsoever to go back to uh, Michigan. And like like I mentioned before, this was a safe phasing face-saving situation for Michigan to take a look at the boosters and everything and say, see, we wanted them back, but he didn't want to come back. So there you go. So don't don't be yapping and being angry and getting down on me and all that kind of stuff. We tried. But um, Jim Harbaugh said, no, no, no. So at the end of the season, there were head coaching vacancies in New England, Las Vegas, Atlanta, Carolina, the Chargers, the Seahawks, the Titans, and my Washington Commanders. Since then, New England, Las Vegas has hired head coaches along with um, along with Tennessee. New England promoted Gerard Mayo to be the head coach. And the Las Vegas Raiders removed the interim status from Antonio Pierce to become the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, I want to concentrate, though, mainly on the hiring of Gerard Mayo, not just for you know, the, just not just for the NFL, because the one great thing about hiring Pierce and hiring Mayo is the fact that uh, the NFL has hired two black coaches. And of course, as we know, if they're taking a look at data from 2021, the hiring of minorities for head coaching positions in the NFL have been putrid. While 71% of the NFL, according to data from 2021, 71% of NFL players were of color, only six head coaches up to that point or up to this point are black. When you're speaking about Gerard Mayo, just formal, just newly uh, appointed the head coach of the Patriots, Antonio Pierce of the Las Vegas Raiders, Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike McDaniel of the Miami Dolphins, D'Amico Ryan of the Houston, Texas, Todd Bowles of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How about that? And if you take a look at these uh, coaches right now who are black, who are in the NFL, Mike Tomlin made the playoff this season. Mike McDaniel made the playoff this season. D'Amico Ryan made the playoff this season. Todd Bowles made the playoff this season. Hmm, so, that's pretty good. 
pretty good, ain't it? So while I say the hiring of Mayo as the head coach for the uh, Patriots is so important to the organization, to the community, to the region, and to society in general is because of this, of where he was hired. Not just by the Patriots. I'm not calling Bob Kraft a racist or anything like that. But, but what I'm saying is when you take a look at the northeast corner of this country, which is consists of Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Maine, Rhode Island, and Vermont, uh, I guess you can say that um, it really lacks diversity, <laughs> I mean, you know, which leads to cultural ignorance and awareness when it comes to, you know, th those type of um, of those type of regions in the country. You have a situation in Boston which is overcoming um, its racist past. It's getting better, but many residents will say that you have a long way to go. I mean, outside of some fo outside of some places in Connecticut, it's mostly rural, it's mostly white. And then you have New Hampshire and Maine and Rhode Island and Vermont, where probably, and of course I'm being facetious in saying this, you could probably count you could probably count the amount of black folks on two hands and two and two uh, feet. So really, what I'm saying there 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 is a lack of of uh, diversity. And when you have a lack of diversity, and I've experienced this many times, I saw it up front many times, when you have a lack of diversity, when you are not communicating, if you're not dealing with, if you live in an area where you don't see anything else as far as uh, one dominant uh, uh, color is concerned, race is concerned, then you're going to be ignorant. Then you're going to be unaware. And coming from my side of the tracks, or coming from my point of view, when you have these, these places where it's predominantly white, or all white, I, I've seen this firsthand. The, the, lack of, the, the lack of knowledge, or the ignorance when it comes to understanding uh, folks from other races and places is, is, is just, it's just, uh, it's just astounding. I mean, hell, one political party in this country is, is basing its whole future and its success on that. How can we have our base? How can we have the people who vote for us? How can they remain ignorant? How can they remain unaware? How can they remain that type of stuff? So when people look in the mirror who are white and talk about, oh, wokeness and this is bullshit and this is nonsense, you're fucking stupid. You're showing your stupidity. You're showing your ignorance. You're showing your lack of education. You're showing your lack of awareness. Because obviously... For you to make that type of decision, for you to think that way, that comes from ignorance. That comes from, if you actually go ahead and you make those statements, if you truly believe in that nonsense, if you believe that wokeness is just some some liberal nonsense, boo-hoo bullshit, you're fucking stupid. That tells me that you don't have any other friends except for white folks. That probably, probably tells me you don't deal with anybody else. That probably tells me you don't work with anybody else except for white folks. That you don't talk to anybody else but white folks. That you don't do anything in terms of trying to learn anything about our culture. You don't go to school with us. You don't go to church with us. You don't live next to us. You don't eat at the same restaurants we do. We don't. You don't go to the same movie theaters. You could probably go hell. I mean, you could probably go weeks and weeks and months and possibly years and you could probably count true interactions with someone other than white folks on one hand. Especially when it comes to black folks. I'm quite sure there's folks out there who live in Maine, who live in Rhode Island, who live in Vermont, who live in New Hampshire, 
that can go in some instances months without seeing anybody who's black months let alone talking to them about situations like this so the, the reasons why i'm saying this and when, and then when you go down to the bostonian area and you speak about some of the examples of, of athletes and their thoughts and opinions about what this area is all about the northeast quarter of the united states in terms of um the the team the football team the new england patriots in the region of the country that you're representing and you take a look at some of the athletes and some of the things that they have to say in 2022 lebron james called the boston celtics fans racist as fuck calling it his least favorite place to play uh, celtics guard jalen brown has acknowledged that part of the fan base is extremely toxic, although he knows that it does not apply to all Boston fans. Understand that. Bill Russell described the city as a flea market of racism. And if you ever knew anything about Bill Russell in terms of what he tried to do when he bought his first house in Reading, Massachusetts, the fact that the folks, when he was on the road, the folks would break into his house, defecate on his bed, break up all of his trophies. And then when he would complain to the police about it, the police would be like, oh, well, I guess it's just rats. Nothing to see here. Nope. Nope. The fact that um, Boston was winning championships after championships but couldn't sell out the Boston Garden while they were doing so because the Boston Celtics and Red Auerbach had the nerve to start five black players, Sam Jones, Casey Jones, Bill Russell, Satch Sanders, and, uh, well, four black players or something like that. But, but you know, because of the race element that, uh, you know, the Boston Bruins were more popular than the Boston Celtics at that time. The Boston Red Sox were one of the last teams in Major League Baseball to integrate. They could have had Jackie Robinson. Um, Jackie Robinson, there were situations where there was, a, there was an opportunity to him for him to try out with the Boston Celtics to uh, break the color barrier and to uh, play Major League Baseball. But Boston was like, nope, we're good. Former Boston Celtics guard D. Brown, minding his own business while black. 3.30 on a Friday afternoon back, I believe it was in 1991-92, was in the process of moving into a home in the suburbs of Boston. He and his fiance were visiting, were sitting in his car outside of the uh, local uh, post office when suddenly they were surrounded by at least seven policemen and guns were pointed, orders were given. The Globe said that one of the officers told Brown to drop the gun. Brown told the police that he was holding a pen. Brown said he was ordered to lie on his stomach on the ground and put his hands behind his back. Someone had robbed the bank, local bank, days before. So, oh, how about that? Brown fit the description. He was black. So, what I'm trying to get at with all of these examples is that Mayo has an opportunity through sports to change people's mindsets, at least get them to the point where they might be interested in finding out about something about our culture finding out about our community other than going to Fox News and listening to race-baiting assholes like Sean Hannity and and Laura Ingram and these other pieces of shit. Maybe through the success, if Gerard Mayo can have success with the New England Patriots, maybe it might have someone from Maine or Rhode Island or from Vermont to maybe take a second look and maybe think to themselves, you know, maybe the narrative that I'm hearing from... Um, Tucker Carlson and and some others, may, may, maybe they're wrong. Maybe I need to dig a little bit deeper. 
Maybe it might be a situation where I might go to one of the uh, Patriots football games and I might sit next to a black person and we might start start talking, not politics or any of this stuff, but, you know, my experience of going to a Patriots game and sitting next to a black guy when we were watching the game was a really good experience, was really a nice experience. And wow, some of that stuff as I was leaving the stadium and maybe I went to uh, get something to eat at one of the local restaurants or I spent the night at a hotel and we went down to the area where we actually had the opportunity to hang out with a little, with, with, with a few more black folks. And it was like, wow, you know, maybe this is a situation where my thoughts and thinking might have been a little bit wrong. And if it's not for someone of my age, maybe it could be a situation where it could be your daughter or your son in terms of him in his formative years, maybe saying, hey, you know what? Maybe I need to look a little bit deeper in terms of what's happening in the world uh, outside of my little neighborhood in Vermont or outside of my community in Rhode Island or outside of the small little region that I live in in Vermont. So there has been examples upon examples upon examples of what can happen in terms of uh, actors, entertainers, athletes in terms of the impact that they can have to bring a society together now mayo went off went out and when he was asked about you know being the first black head coach for the uh new england patriots basically he says yeah i see color because the standard answer the what 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 the what what the uh what the folks out there want is the good the good old negro you know he wants they want they want the house negro they want the he won't give us any problem negro they want the trained Negro. You know, they want, the, they want the Negro that we don't mind if there's only one or two of them in our, in our community. That'll be fine. We'll, we'll, we'll treat him, you know, sort of a way like, you know, someone treating your pet dog or your, tre- or your pet cat. You know, we'll, we'll pat him on the head and say, ain't he a good boy? Aren't you a good boy? Isn't Gerard Monroe a good boy? Come here, you. You know, they, they, they want one of those Negroes, and then and they want that Negro to be like, oh, white man is up there, and oh, he's very, this is so great, he's, he loves me, and this is all wonderful, and this, that, and the other. He, he wants, you know, they, they want a Tim Scott Negro. That's what they want. But Gerard Mayo's like, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. He said that uh, when asked, again, about the question about being a black head coach, he said, what I will say, though, is I do see color because if you believe if you don't see color, you don't you can't see racism. And of course, you know, oh, my goodness gracious, this is terrible. And, you know, woke and all this kind of bullshit uh, flooded the um, flooded his Twitter account and the uh, New England Patriots Twitter account. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But again, I I am happy that uh, Gerard Mayo was promoted to the head coach of uh, of New England. Now, out here in Vegas, Antonio Pierce becoming the head coach, we live in a pretty diversified city. It, it, can, it can be better. It can do better. But look, man, I live in a pretty nice neighborhood, and, uh, you know, my neighbors are black, and ain't nobody firebombing my house, and ain't nobody, you know, ra- writing racial slurs on my um, on my property or anything like that, and I can walk the streets and not have to worry about, you know, being attacked by either black or white. So, uh I live in a pretty diverse, we get together uh, environment. So for me, Antonio Pierce is not going to move the needle on race relations out here in Vegas because there's enough black folks living in neighborhoods integrated with other white folks and Hispanic folks and Asian folks to where that's really not going to be a problem. But when you speak about some of the communities and states and regions that New England represents, I think that the hiring of Jamar, Gerard Mayo, of course, depending upon how well he does as a football coach, can cause a positive impact 
not just in terms of football, but also in terms of societal issues that need that need to be improved. Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. <laughs> so glad that you could be with us. I'm sorry. I was just thinking. I was just thinking. I used to go to, uh, when I was substitute teaching, you know, I used to go out all over the place. One of the experience, I wanted to see different communities. So I would go everywhere. I would go to, you know, I would go to rural areas. I would go to inner city. I would go all over the place. Even went up to Spring Mountain, Spring Mountain and spent the day um, with the juveniles who were not locked up, but they were, you know, they were expelled from school and they had to do some other things. So so I wanted to get a, I wanted to get flavor of, of everywhere. So I would go, I would go to this one place out in the sticks, out in the middle of nowhere, basically. You, you, you get off 15 and you drive about, you get off the I-15 uh, about 50 miles outside of Vegas and you would drive down this hill into, into this valley where it was just, you know, basically nothing but farms and this, that, and the other. So I would go to either the high school or the middle school. And I swear... I had to be maybe one of two or three black people in that area the, when I would go down there. You know, then when I would leave to go back home, it would go back to maybe being one or two black folks in that area. So I would go down there, and I, I, I noticed everywhere, every time I would go down there and I would go get my uh, morning breakfast from McDonald's or I would go to the dollar store or I would go to the uh, gas station to pump up or I would go to the, uh, you know, the gas station to buy my uh, soda to head back home. Man, everybody was so nice to me. Everybody was just like, hi, how you doing? Good to see you. It's like, man, you don't know me. Like, as, as black folks, we always kind of know, or minorities, when you go into a place where, again, where it's mostly predominantly white, we always know where it's kind of like, all right, y'all, y'all, y'all can kind of calm down. Don't worry about it. I ain't moving out here. You don't have to be scared. And I ain't bringing five to 10,000 of my brothers and sisters from the west side of Las Vegas with me. Don't worry about it. I'm only coming down here for the day to hang out with your kids at the uh, junior high, and then I'm heading back home. Don't worry about it. But they were they were over the top nice, and it's like, man, y'all don't know me this well to be this nice to me. So everybody was super duper nice to me until one day at the middle school we had a conversation about the kneeling of Colin Kaepernick, and I was explaining to them why people who were losing their minds over Colin Kaepernick um, kneeling were basically ignorant and out of touch, and this is the reason why he was doing it, and this is the reason why he, this is the reason why it was just in him doing it. Well, that was the last day that they let me uh, go back to that school. <laughs> 
after that, nah, they weren't too friendly to me anymore, at least around that area. After I was explaining that, yeah, the person, the leader of the, the leader of the pack who was being nasty and putting down Colin Kaepernick, you know, the, the white supremacist who's right now the leader of the Republican Party and basically telling the kids exactly what a piece of shit he was for them, for him putting Kaepernick down for what he was doing. You know, it, it got back to their hero. That was the last time, that was the last time I ever went to that middle school. Oh my goodness, you can't be saying stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, y'all are, like I said, y'all y'all liked it when y'all when y'all thought that I was a good Negro. Come here, boy. Oh, he's up there. He's hanging around with our kids. Ain't he a good boy? And then I started talking about how bullshit y'all were for uh, putting down Colin Kaepernick. And while your hero is a piece of shit for, for egging y'all on, that was the last time they had me at the, that middle school. But that's okay. If I had an opportunity to uh, make a dent, change some lives, change some perspective, have some of y'all think outside of what y'all were thinking about in terms of your community, of how narrow-minded and how small it was, then I did my job and I accept my uh, consequence. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Those kids' looks, those kids' faces when I was telling them, yeah, Colin Kaepernick was kneeling? Yeah, he did the right thing. And let me tell you the reason why it was the right thing. The looks on their faces. I was like, yeah, this is probably going to be my last time here. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, but, 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 but I want to talk about this Adrian Griffin. I want to make this short because I know y'all got to get out of here. The the Milwaukee Bucks making a major move at the at the head coaching position. Milwaukee fired Adrian Griffin on Tuesday after just 43 games, despite having one of the league's top records midway through the first season. Joe Puntry is going to take over as interim head coach, but Doc Rivers, as it has been learned since, will become the head coach of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks were 30-13, and 13, and through Tuesday night's games at the number two seed in the Eastern Conference, the best winning percentage for a team that fired his head coach during a season before had been was when um, David Blatt, with the Cavaliers was fired in 2015-2016. Y'all remember the great David Blatt, right? So again, Doc Rivers is going to um, be the new head coach. And uh, moving forward, and I and I give the Milwaukee Bucks credit for this. Hey, man, they, they saw that they had to make the move. Basically, and again, everybody said that the Milwaukee Bucks have a window of opportunity with Giannis Adenikupo and Damian Lillard. And also, let's not discount... Brooke Lopez, or uh, yeah, Lopez and um, Chris Middleton, that that four that four Forstrom has maybe two years tops to win a championship, including this one. I think their best chances are this year and next year. After that, all bets are off. So this was a situation where, hey man, you know we can't be fucking around, we can't be fooling around, and there was enough evidence to show that even though the Milwaukee Bucks had the record that they had, basically the question was, is this team good enough to beat the Boston Celtics? The answer was no. Is this team good enough to beat the Philadelphia 76ers? The answer is no. Is this team even mentally tough enough and together enough when playoff time comes around to beat the Miami Heat? And the answer would be no. So again, this is a situation where the Bucks are looking to win a championship right now. Now, the solution, I guess, for them is to say, let's bring on a coach who has experience, who's won a championship. Doc Rivers fits all of those criteria. 24 years as a head coach, first with Orlando, then with the um, 
Boston Celtics, where he won that championship in 08, took them to the finals in 09. Then he moved on to the Los Angeles Clippers, and then three years with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. So as far as coaching acumen and all those type of things, hey, Doc Rivers, much better in terms of leading this team than um, Adrian Griffin. No, No question about it. But there's still some things in terms of when I think about the Milwaukee Bucks where it's it's a situation where how much of this hire is going to be impactful enough for the Milwaukee Bucks to win a championship. First of all, um, they need to play some defense. Now, I know that when you're speaking about Griffin's defensive philosophy and you're speaking about some of the some of the disconnect that the players and the coach had in terms of how they wanted to play defense contributed to the fact that Milwaukee was twenty seven, the 22nd ranked as far as defensive efficiency is concerned. I understand that. But in watching some of these games, and I watched a decent number of Milwaukee Bucks basketball games, there were just too many times where it was a situation where these guys weren't trying. Now, I don't know if they were confused. I don't know. But I, I don't know what defensive philosophy Adrian Griffin had that had these guys loafing down the court after scoring a basket or after uh, missing a shot. I, I don't know if Adrian Griffin's defensive philosophy was to tell Damian Lillard after he missed a three-pointer just to kind of jog back down to the other end while your man that you're supposed to be picking up from transition from offense to defense was running down the court for a wide-open three or a wide-open corner three or for a nice easy layup. I don't know which defensive philosophy Adrian Griffin was talking about where he had Malik Beasley as a below-average defensive player trying to guard somebody. And I still think that Giannis Adenikupo is a good defensive player mainly 12 to 15 feet in. I think Giannis gets... gets um, I think Giannis gets... Uh, I think a defense from outside of that, the three-point perimeter, it gets exposed in that situation. Giannis is a good defender with those who are back to the back. And again, who are going to make one or two moves and then go to the basket or maybe pull up. I think in that situation, Giannis is a great defender. But if you're asking Giannis to go ahead and switch and try to guard a point guard or a shooting guard or a small forward 25 feet away from the basket and giving them room. It's been shown time and time again this season and in the last couple of seasons that Giannis is not that type of defender. Chris Middleton, because of his injuries, has not the defender that he, was one, that he once was. So th- this is the situation in... This is the situation in Milwaukee where it's like, yeah... There was some situation with Adrian Griffin, which caused major red flags. Yes, the fact that Terry Stotts, who was brought in to mentor Griffin because this was going to be the first time that he was going to be a head coach. Oh, by the way, Griffin had reportedly um, interviewed for 14 teams and not getting the job. So on the 15th team or the 15th try, he's going to get hired by the Milwaukee Bucks a team that's looking to win a championship, and also the narrative of, well, yeah, he was hired before the Bucks went out and acquired Damian Lillard. Well, well wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the expectations for the season weren't changing because of that. Even before the acquisition of uh, Damian Lillard, the expectations in Milwaukee definitely should have been to win a championship. And why wouldn't they have? 
Before the trade, if they would have kept the team that was intact before the trade with uh, Portland to send them Damian Lillard. This was a team that two seasons ago won the NBA championship. This was a team last season, the way it was constituted before the trade, was the number one team in the uh, Eastern Conference. It just so happened to lose in the first round to the uh, Miami Heat. So this was a situation moving forward. This wasn't, well, let's give Adrian Griffin some time to learn the job because we're not really going to make the playoffs or we don't have title expectations. After the team that you had and what they accomplished over the last two years, you damn right better believe that your expectations should have been to win a championship. And if not, what the hell are you doing? This was a situation where they wanted to please Giannis. They got rid of Mike Budenholzer. They didn't have a plan B on who they were going to get. But they just felt because Giannis hadn't signed that contract yet that they were a little bit nervous because Giannis was a little bit perturbed with Bootenholzer and his decision not to put him on Jimmy Butler as he was eating alive Drew Holiday in the playoff series last year. So they got rid of Bootenholzer. They really didn't have a plan B. So they went to Giannis and said, Giannis, out of the guys that we are interviewing, who do you want? And Giannis said, you know what, let's go with Adrian Griffin. And so the Milwaukee Bucks brass in front office took that into account because, again, Giannis had given them the ultimatum of, hey, look, if we ain't competing for championships, I ain't staying here. I live in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's great, wonderful, this, that, and the other. But if we ain't winning championships, I ain't sticking around. So there was a sense of purpose, and that was one of the reasons why they went out and got Dame Lillard. That was one of the situations for them to go out and make that move. But once Giannis signed that three-year, $186 million extension, which means he was basically going to be staying here for the run in terms of the, the, the window being open for the Milwaukee Bucks to uh, win that championship, it was like, all right, cool. We can go ahead and we can now get this done. And... As of this season, the relationship in terms of the on-court chemistry offensively between Damian Lillard and Giannis Adenikupo has not come to fruition. Um, they, they, they look a little bit disjointed on offense. Um, there's no cohesion. So I, I think in a situation like this, look, man, you know, in the NBA, it's you get your money first, then you ask for a team, then you ask for a trade second. So even though Giannis signed that contract extension, it's not time for Milwaukee to go, all right, well, we got that taken care of. Now let's see. What, no, 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 no. No, man, you're still on the clock. Because in the NBA, there's been many examples of precedent where people get their money and it's like, if, if y'all ain't doing what I want y'all to do in terms of giving me an opportunity to win a championship, then I'm out of here. Then I'm gone. So it's not that we, this, you know, the Giannis and Denikupo, who came over and a great story from Greece and he had to face racism over there and he was poor and he did all this type of stuff and Giannis with a great smile and he doesn't want to rock the boat and he's a great teammate and, you know, he's a Tim Duncan-like in terms of the respect that he had for his coach and the organization and he's going to do anything moving forward that the organization wants to do because he just wants to be that guy that's going to play his whole career with one team and do all that type of stuff. He wants to be the next Kobe. He wants to be the next Dirk. He wants to be the next Reggie Miller to play the entire career with one franchise and all that kind of stuff. That Giannis Antetokounmpo is gone. That happy-go-lucky Giannis Antetokounmpo is gone. In his place is a guy who's like, look, man, I want to win championships. I want to be the best that I can be. I want my legacy to be great. I've got one. I'm hungry. I want two championships. And then three championships. And then four championships. 
So if Milwaukee is not going to be the place for me to do that, then you need to get me on out of here. But Giannis, you're signing extension. I don't care. Y'all need to get me on out of here. So that Giannis is now starting to rear his ugly head. All of a sudden now, you know, situations where um, during the season, this season, and the game against the Boston Celtics, where Adrian Griffin tried to take him out. And Giannis basically told him to go fuck himself. He went over to the, uh, was, was, basically threw his coach under the bus and did that numerous times. That's not the Giannis and then the Kupo that we know in his first five, six, seven, eight, nine years as an NBA basketball player. We would never think of Giannis doing something like that. This new Giannis, this mature Giannis, is a guy who's like, nah, man, this is my franchise. I'm going to be responsible for winning this championship, right? I mean, it's all going to be laid down on me. I mean, if we don't win this championship, the, the majority of the blame ain't going to go on the owner. It ain't going to go on the GM. It ain't going to go on the coach. It ain't going to go on Chris Middleton. It ain't going to go on Lopez. It ain't going to go on Marshawn Bochamp. It ain't going to go on the assistant coaches. It ain't going to go on the trainer. It's going to go on me. So since I bear the brunt, or if I bear the, the, the majority of the responsibility to get the job done in terms of winning a championship, y'all better supply me with the best opportunity to do so. Players, coaches, and everything else. And if I have to throw my coach under the bus, if I have to embarrass my coach, if I have to remind the players by embarrassing the coach, who is the motherfucker, who is the head Negro in charge of this operation, then I'm going to do so. So if I have to embarrass Adrian Griffin on, on national television, so be it. If I have to, after a game, embarrass him in front of my teammates, so be it. If I have to undermine his authority and show my lack of respect for this man, then so be it. Because again, the buck stops with me. Yeah, if we lose in the first round of the NBA playoffs, yeah, Adrian Griffin's going to get his fair share of criticism. But where is the majority of the criticism going to be falling on? This man right here. And that ain't going to be happening. So some things need to get done, and Giannis got it done. So bringing in Doc Rivers, I don't know if that's the end-all, the be-all either. Because you are speaking about a Doc Rivers who won the last, who was once, who won his last championship, what, 16 years ago? Something like that? How many times has he lost series, playoff series, where he's been up three games to one? How many times has he lost games, deciding games, game sixes, when his team was up three to two? Why again was he dismissed from teams like the Los Angeles Clippers and the Philadelphia 76ers who had talent to get past the second round of the NBA playoffs, something that he never did with those squads? How come the, how come Steve Ballmer let him go? Because he couldn't control a locker room that had Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan and J.J. Redick and all those guys, and they were trying to compete to see whose team it really was. CP3 teams team or Blake Griffin's team so we'll see we'll see moving forward we will see moving forward on an interesting night Tuesday where Joel Embiid scored 70 in a win Carl Anthony Towns scored the ugliest 62 points that you'll ever see in an immature horrible basketball game for the Minnesota Timberwolves according to uh, Chris Finch and really can't blame him for saying so so there you go All right, I'm out of here. Thank you so much for listening to the uh, podcast. Y'all have a good one. I want to hear a little Coltrane as I get on out of here. So uh, as I get on out of here, hit me with some music, mainly some John Coltrane.
Thank you.